Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. The story of Samson is an epic hero story. It is a story about a great hero by the name of Samson. And this guy has got muscles and he is incredibly strong. And there's lots of great things that Samson does, but he does make some mistakes along the way. And in previous weeks, what you would have learned and discovered is that the, the angel of God came and spoke to Samson's parents. And he told Samson's parents that Samson would be a savior to their nation because at this point in history, they were oppressed by a group of people called the Philistines. And so God said to these people that Samson would be a child that they would have and he would free them from their oppressors. Now, how many of you guys believe that when God says something, it's just done? Yeah? Four people. You make me work hard today right? How many believe that when God says something, it's just it? It's the way it's done, yeah? yeah. Okay, all right. So when God says something, it's done. Now, it, not only did he say it, but we've recorded it. It's in the Bible, and God said that Samson would be a savior, that he would be a hero, and he would set them free. Yeah, you with me so far? All right. But what if Samson doesn't want to do that? Now, God has already said that he is going to do it. But Samson's his own man, right? Like Samson can make any choice that he wants with his life, right? Some of you are a bit unsure. You're not sure. Can, can he do it? Can, can he make his own decisions? Oh, absolutely. Samson can make his own decisions. And yet, oh my gosh, like God has said he's going to be a savior. What if Samson doesn't want to be a savior? You talk about the kind of pressure that your parents might put on you. You know, uh, I, I don't know if anybody had pressure from their parents to get good grades in school. You know, come on, you got to work hard and, you know, live up to our expectations. Oh my gosh, just to check the scriptures, Samson's parents would have fully prepared Samson for the life that he is now to live. I mean, when the angel of God came to Samson's parents, he said, your son Samson will be set apart. He will take the vow of a Nazarite. And if you don't know what that is, it was a vow that anyone could take and it would set people apart for a holy God-ordained purpose. And they could set themselves apart for something. So the angel of God comes to Samson's mom and says to Samson's mom, not only is Samson going to be his Nazarite for his whole life, but you're going to be a Nazarite too, because I want this guy to be set apart from the womb. And so, you know, like imagine Samson's parents telling him the story, you know, before he goes to bed at night. I don't know if you read your kids' stories, but they say, Samson, did I ever tell you about the time when the angel of God came and told us that you're going to be the savior of our entire nation? Samson would be like, yes, you've told me. I, I, I don't want to deal with the pressure, but yes, you've told me. I know about it. So, so Samson has been set up, you know, and God has begun to stir his heart and the whole scene is set. Now, I want to read a scripture to you. This comes out of Judges chapter 14. And in verse 1, it says this, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, Mom, Dad, oh my gosh, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, oh my gosh, Samson, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives 
or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Dad, shh, you're not getting it. I want that girl. Get her for me for she is right in my eyes. I want to preach a message to you this morning called Crossing and Crushing. Where are the boundaries in your life? Where are the boundaries in your life? You know, I worked at a ski resort a number of years ago. And, there, you know, when we catch the ski lift to the very top of the mountain, when you got up to the top, you could either go left or you could go right, but you couldn't go straight ahead. And the reason you couldn't, because they had a big sort of fenced off area that had fluorescent signs so you couldn't miss it saying, do not ski beyond this territory. Don't go past this fence. And it had a big sign that said, avalanches. And this is dangerous, you know. And you, man, you don't want to be caught in an avalanche because that thing will kill you in seconds. So, so they set up the boundary. And they set it up there so that everyone would be safe. And they'd know where to stay if they wanted to be safe in life. I wonder what your boundaries are. You know, everybody has boundaries. Even if you don't know about it, you still have boundaries. There'll be boundaries in your life where you realize that there is something that's just too far for you. It's a boundary that you won't cross. And maybe you haven't written them all down, but you come up against stuff in life. And you'll just say, nope, this is, this is too far for me. This is a boundary I have predetermined. I will not cross. Everyone's got boundaries. And to me, it doesn't matter whether you're here today and you might be a Christian. You might never have been in church before. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's got a boundary somewhere, some way, somehow. And the point of the boundary is to let you know how close you can go before you get burned by something, a, a situation, a circumstance, maybe even a relationship, but how far you can go before you get burned you get burned, you know? How far can you go uh, in life before you realize that you would fall, before it would uh, end up, you end up being in a place that you really don't want to be? Let me tell you this, love gives boundaries. Love gives boundaries. You know, if you're here today and, and, and you're, um, look, I'm looking out today and I'm thinking most people are either currently a teenager or you've been a teenager. And when you were a teenager, your parents presumably set boundaries for you. And they said, you can do something and you can't do something and don't do this and do do this. And, and the reason that they set those boundaries up for you was not because they dislike you, but it's because they love you. And they wanted to set up the appropriate boundaries so that you would never cross them. Now, when you were the teenager, I don't want to be projecting here. Maybe it's just my life, you know. But, but when you were the teenager, you thought, I don't like the boundaries. Uh, everything you do stops me from having fun. Like, I, this is not what I want to do. Now, if you have become a parent since then, now you might have more boundaries for your kids than your parents gave you because you love them with an intensity and you say, I want you to be safe, you know. So let me, let me give you an example of this. In our house, you know, like all of you, we have a cooktop on, in our kitchen. And, you know, when we cook on it, you know, it gets very, very hot. Now, my daughter, Eliana, she loves to climb, like everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Me, fences, 
on top of cars, doesn't matter. She'll climb everything. She loves to climb on top of our kitchen bench. Now, this is a big problem when she tries to climb up onto the hot plates, okay? So when the fire is going, right, and you can see it, she's smart enough to understand, hey, I shouldn't climb up there because it's hot. But the moment that you turn that off, all the warning signals go away. Now, if we were going to draw up boundaries for our daughter that we love very much, what we wouldn't say is, sweetheart, we don't want you to climb over that boundary or climb up onto that cooktop. We don't want you to climb up there uh, after five o'clock at night because mum cooks at five o'clock at night and we don't want you to climb up there and get burnt, right? Now, that's a boundary, but it's not a good one, is it? Because she, she has no idea of time. She can't read a clock. So that doesn't help her. So what we do is we draw a boundary that's so far back from that so that she might never climb up onto that bench. So, so this is the boundary that we give her. Never climb up onto the bench. Never reach up with your hands and touch anything that's on there. Never touch the hot plate. Doesn't matter whether you think it's cold or doesn't matter whether you think it's hot. Just never, ever do it, right? And the reason that we say that is so that we can keep her safe all the time. Now, God does the same things with people. He gives people rules. He gives people boundaries. He gives people guidelines. And I know that when I first became a Christian, I didn't like that, just like I didn't like the boundaries that my parents gave me. I thought, God, you know, when you set up all these guides for my life, so I can't do this and I can't do that, I get it. You want to take all of the fun out of life. You want to destroy the fun that I could have. And now that I'm a little bit older, I realize that that's not the case at all. But it's really easy for people, especially young people, or maybe people that don't know God so well, to look at all the stuff that He says and think, gosh, why does He remove all the fun in life? Well, doesn't God know what fun is? Well, let me tell you something, right? God knows what fun is because He invented it, Okay. If you think that a sense of humor and fun was something that you came up with, what you're essentially saying is you created something that God has no idea about. If it exists, it came from God. I submit to you today, God knows how to have fun. God knows how to laugh. God has an incredible sense of humor, but God loves you so much that He'll give you rules and boundaries and guides not to take the fun out of life, but to keep you safe. Now, as I read this story today about Samson, it says Samson was just wandering down to a place called Timnah. Now, when you read the story, Timnah doesn't immediately jump out at you. And there's, there's, a, there's a few bits and pieces and information here that might ne not necessarily jump out at you. But if you were to look at Israel and, and, and the land that the Philistines inherited or, or had, uh, and you looked at that on a map, you would discover that the town called Timnah was right on the boundary. It was right on the border territory between Israel and between the land that the Philistines had. And they were right there. So, so if you look at the story, here comes Samson going down towards, getting towards the edge of where he should be, getting very close to the boundary, just looking and leaning over the edge in a place that he's not really supposed to go. That wasn't the territory that he should supposed to, is supposed to live in. And what happens when he gets close to the edge in a space he's not to be? Well, if you've read the story, you'll understand, right? He finds a hot chick. Yes. He finds a hot 
chick. We don't know what her name is, right? But he sees her and he goes, oh my gosh. At a distance, he's, he sees her and he says, wow, I must have her as my wife. I, 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 I want her. Have you ever heard somebody say that when they saw their spouse, it was love at first sight? Love at first sight? You're serious, right? What kind of criteria must you have that it could be ticked 100% by just looking at a person from a distance? Yeah? If 100% of your criteria for finding and marrying person can be seen at a distance and you see someone and go, that's everything I want right there, may I suggest to you that your criteria is not deep enough? You should have something far better than she looks hot or he looks hot or that's who I want. All of Samson's criteria was filled at a distance. Now, let me, let me say a couple things to you this morning. If you're here and you are single, I'm going to talk to some of my single people here today. First of all, there is nothing wrong with you. And by the way, just because you're single doesn't mean that you can't live a completely uh, God-ordained, fulfilling life, living out your purpose for God. You don't need to be, oh gosh, you don't need to be married to be completed. Goodness me, I hope that there's nobody that says, I'm just looking for someone to complete me. There is no one on planet earth that will complete you. The only person that you really need to make you whole is Jesus. He'll put the broken pieces of your life back together, but don't look for another human being to complete you. That's not the way it works. So if you're single, right, you're not gonna find completeness and wholeness all found in another human being. That's not what you should be doing. But the, the truth is, is that most single people that I find, as they get on in life, they discover that they don't want to be single. And my encouragement to anyone that doesn't want to be single anymore is that when, if you want to get married, please, for the love of God, have a better criteria than Samson did. Wow, have a better criteria than how a person looks, you know? And I just think that this is wise. You know, I just think that this is wisdom. Because if you don't have a better criteria than that, and you end up getting married to someone that thinks something completely differently to you, I'm not saying that you can't do it. You can do whatever you want. But I am saying it will present challenges later on in your life. Like you might decide that one day after you're married that you want to have kids. And what are you going to teach him about God if, if they don't believe the same thing? Now, Samson's mom, she's a smart lady. Remember how she schooled her husband last week? All right, she's a smart lady. Now it's time to school her son. And she begins to speak to him. She says, come on, Samson. I want you to think about this before you decide to get married to this Philistine woman that you see. The Bible talks about this in different parts, you know, and, and one of the scriptures that you'll find in the New Testament, there's this phrase that you see, and it talks about being unequally yoked. Have you ever heard that before? Unequally yoked. And if you don't know what that means, a yoke was a device that would hold two oxen together, and then they would begin to plow the field. And when the oxen are unequally yoked, what it means is, is that one of the oxen is much stronger than the other one. And the strong one will pretty much go wherever it wants to go. And because the other one is attached to it, it'll just follow. 
It'll just walk wherever it wants to go. And I, I thought it might be easier if I just explained this to you, illustrated this to you. So I'm going to ask Josh, why don't you come up here and Josh, why don't you grab a chair? Come on, put your hands together for Josh, everybody. Now, Josh, I want you to stand up on the chair. And I, and I, and I, I want you to... I want you to lift me up. I want you to pick me up, okay? But I want you to make it look easy because I've been working out at the gym and I don't want it to be embarrassing for me. So, so I want you to lift me up. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Guys, would you please give him some encouragement? So come on, let's lift me up this morning. Come on, come on, go. Make it look easy. Make it look easy. No, he was, guys, was he straining? No. Guys, oh, you were not meant to strain. Anyway, so... So you can see, it's kind of difficult for him to pick me up. But you know what I've discovered in life is that it's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pick them up. And when this happens in relationships, you'll often discover that one person that's completely committed, it can be really difficult for them to lift another person up to where they see God, but it's a lot easier for the other person to just pull them down. Why don't you put your hands together for Josh? To be completely honest, that is just my experience and what I've seen. That when you find two people that are in a relationship and one loves God and the other doesn't, oftentimes it's easier for the one that doesn't to guide the life of the other person. Now, I am not saying that if you were in a relationship with someone that didn't love God, that you can't do it. I, I, I absolutely believe that it, it's possible, but it's not easy. And it does create challenges. And you do see this often. And because Samson's mum knows this, she speaks to Samson and she says, my goodness, Samson, why couldn't you choose somebody from our relatives or at least somebody from your own people? Why would you go and, and find someone from these uncircumcised Philistines? Now, if you're new to church, that is unusual why would they bring up circumcision at a time like this? Why even talk about it? What, is it personal preference? What, what was she saying there? Was she saying, come on, Samson, you know we like that thing cut off. You know what our family is like. We like it to, it's neater and, you know, we, we want you to, come on, Samson, you know how we feel about these things, right? No, 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 no. It's not a personal preference when she talks about circumcision. Did you notice, and, I, and I've done this every time and I don't mean to, but often when I talk about circumcision, I keep doing this. And I don't know why I do that. It's just in my, anyway. So, so she says, I don't want you to, 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 you know, hang out with these uncircumcised people and, and marry someone. Let me, let me talk to you about what it means. Circumcision is not about preference, it's about covenant. And a covenant is an agreement that people make with God and it's binding. And you, and you can't break it. And it's serious, very serious if you ever break covenant. Marriage is a covenant made between people and God. And when people were circumcised, it was the seal of a covenant that God had made with Abraham. And he made, and, and the spilling of blood was the seal of that covenant. In other words, when people got circumcised, they were entering into an agreement with God. But the Philistines didn't have this. 
Let me, let me give you a, a more modern version of a covenant to help you understand how these things work. If you look in the New Testament, did you know that testament, testament means covenant? So when we look in the new covenant that has been made with us by Jesus, when we look, read the New Testament, it's saying, hey, there's a new covenant in place. There's a new agreement between people and God. And this is how it works. Jesus Christ was hung on the cross and when His blood began to flow, it was His blood that was the seal of that new covenant because it's always blood that seals a covenant. And that is why people don't need to get circumcised anymore. That is why we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore because the blood was spilt on the cross by Jesus. And now because He spilled His blood, we have a new agreement in place with God and we call it good news because it requires nothing from you because it was all done on the cross. There is no work. Come on, are you excited about this? This is good news, right? There is no work required from you. You simply enter into that agreement with God by faith. Now, back to the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come yet. And so there is an agreement with the people of Israel through the seal of circumcision, which is the spilling of blood. And Samson's mum says, Samson, why would you connect yourself by marriage to a group of people that don't think about God the way that we think? They don't love the God that we love. They serve other gods. They serve false gods, you know? I'm telling you that if, if you're thinking about getting married, there should be an alignment of belief systems. Trust me, this is just wisdom and good advice. Before you get married so that you don't have all these challenges after you get married. It's just better to know people first. Now, everything I just told you and told you in previous weeks about there being consequences for sin. And if you make mistakes, God will still love you, but you still sometimes end up in trouble because you're free, you're free to make any decision you want. You're not free from the decisions that you've made. Now, all of that is true. But now, Samuel, who wrote Judges, went and wrote verse 4, which to be completely honest, I would prefer to ignore. It would be so much easier if I didn't have to talk about this because I would just do some message for you on boundaries and that'd be simple and you'd understand it and that would be it. But I didn't write the Bible. Thank you, Samuel. So this is what he said in verse four. He says that Samson's father and mother did not know that what was going on. In other words, his infatuation with this Philistine woman was from the Lord. Oh my gosh. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now here's the question. How is it Samson's fault if his bad choices were from God? How is this Samson's fault? That's what the scripture just said. And this is kind of a really difficult thing to understand. And I'm, I'm going to potentially break your brain momentarily as you wrestle through exactly what the Bible says about this. See, I don't think that the choices that Samson made were God and they weren't Samson. They were in fact both their choices at the exact same time. And as you start to think about that, you're like, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Surely what happens 
is that God looks down the corridors of time and sees the choices that people make and He works around them. Now, if that's true, how can God be sovereign? How can anything that God say, like Samson will be a saviour, how can He guarantee anything in life if all He's doing is working around all of our choices? There's something about this doesn't, doesn't make sense. It has to be either. Either Samson makes a decision and he's responsible or God makes a decision and he's responsible. But how can it be both? Well, I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's a contradiction. It's what we call an apparent contradiction. Apparent contradiction. And what happens is, is that when something happens, when God does something that we don't understand, what we often do is we say, God, we don't understand how that makes sense. Therefore, that can't be true. And when we make decisions like this, you know what we're saying? God, since we are as smart as you, and you're not wiser than we are, since we can't understand it, that can't possibly be true. But that's not what the Scriptures say. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if you think that this is the only time that this happens, it doesn't. In fact, David, King David, won many victories. And he says, at one point, the Lord has given us victory by my hand. Now, God didn't take over David. David was swinging a sword and stabbing people and killing them in battle, right? He wasn't a robot. He's making decisions. He's chopping down people. And yet he says that it was God that gave him victory. God wasn't setting up those people to just stand still so David would cut them down. And yet God is at work in it. David did it. And God's doing it too at the same time. If you read Genesis chapter 50, you'll see such an interesting story. Genesis chapter 50 has to do with a man by the name of Joseph. Hands up if you know Joseph. Okay, so, so you know, Joseph, Technicolor Dreamcoat made a, made a whole play about it, right? Well, his brothers did not like the fact that his dad made him that special jacket. There's a good parenting tip right there. Don't spoil one child because the others will hate him. And, and, and so what happens is, is that they see the, the, the jacket, they see that he's got the favor of his father and they say, you know what, we, we need to do something about it. So they did what any family would do. They sold their brother into slavery, right? Hor horrible thing, horrible thing, right? They sell him into slavery and, and, and Joseph lives this horrible life, right? It starts off pretty bad uh, and he gets sold into slavery. But then he, he goes and works in the house of someone that, that blesses him. And he's, he's very good at his job. He's got an excellent spirit. And so things start to go well. Oh, until the, the, somebody accuses him of something that he shouldn't have done. Well, he ends up in prison and that's a horrible thing. But he meets some people there and, and helps them in life. And later on, that affords him an opportunity to come before Pharaoh and, and interpret a dream. And long story short, it escalates and he ends up being the prime minister of Egypt. Amazing story. Well, a great famine strikes the land and Joseph, because of his position as prime minister, is able to save his entire family. Now, at the end of his life, he says this. He says, ah, only now do I get it. What they meant for evil, you meant for good. And you say, nope. How is that possible? Either they meant it or he meant it. But that's not what the scripture said. It says that they both meant it at the exact same time. Two meants. That makes sense. Hey, in fact, you know, if you struggle with this, you're not the only one. Paul actually writes about it. He says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 19. He says, Why does God still find fault in people? If he's sovereign and over the universe and, and governing things, then why does he find fault in people? 
And he says, who can resist their will? And to be honest, it's a, it's a really great question. Who can resist the will of God? How does this work? Well, I think that there are probably two schools of thought about this. One, it's a bit of a spectrum, to be honest, works like this. One group of people somewhere on this planet would say that everything that happens in life is just luck. It's random. There's, there's, there's no, no, nothing divine over the universe. It's just things that unfold the way that they are. And people live like this is true, you know? Like I always remember Michael Jordan wore the same shorts under his basketball. I mean, washed them, you know, but for many years wore the same shorts under his basketball shorts. You know why? He thought they were lucky. He drew a connection between wearing pants and how he'd play. Sounds a little bit odd, but people live like this. And especially, and, and this sort of embeds itself a little bit in culture. Like sometimes, some of you have avoided walking under a ladder because you just wanted to make sure you didn't tempt something out there in the universe. You're like, well, let's not risk it, you know? And, 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 and I'm saying that that's, that's just one way of looking at it. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got another idea completely, which is fatalism. Fatalism is this, that everything is preordained, that there's no choices. You think you're making decisions? You're not making decisions. You are a robot being controlled by God, pre-programmed, and everything is unfolding the way that it's supposed to happen. And people live like this too. I always remember this great story about this woman that believed that all of her choices were made for her. This is a true story. And so, you know, she, she wouldn't even need to really set the alarm in the morning because she would just wake up whenever the Lord told her to get out of bed. Why? It was preordained. It was, it was governed by God, right? Sound kind of funny, yeah? It gets weirder because when God eventually tells her to get out of bed, she goes to her drawer, she pulls it open, there's all her underwear. Now, what is she going to wear today? Why even think about it? She would wait until God selected the underwear that she was supposed to wear for the day. Now, this is just embarrassing for Christian people, to be honest. Like anybody that says that God is, if God is selecting your underwear, I will pray for you at the end of the service today because I really don't think that God is choosing which pair of jocks to put on in the morning, right? It doesn't make sense. And so what do I believe? Well, I don't believe that it's luck and I certainly don't believe that we're totally controlled because that doesn't make sense biblically either. But there is a space here in the middle where our choices overlap with the divine sovereignty of God and in the middle of that... That's where we live. Our choices and God's sovereignty comes together. And we have a word for that. And the word that we use for that is the word providence. And it means that God is governing the universe and He's over it. And yet we're still making decisions. And He does it in a way that is an apparent contradiction. It's hard to make sense of it. Let me, let me share a little story with you. I've shared this story before, but I still think it's a good one. I remember Sarah and I many years ago, we wanted to buy a house and we'd gone to a couple of the banks and they said, no, they didn't understand how my salary worked. And they said, no, you know, and they rejected us, right? And so we had one meeting, we'd have multiple meetings with this last bank. And it came down to this one final meeting. And the lending manager was guaranteed to say to us in that meeting that you will never buy this house. Now, God had already told me that we were absolutely going to buy it, which is why we pushed so hard for it, because we believed that this is what God had said. So we, we were pushing for it, and it came down to this one meeting. Now, the day before we had that meeting, uh, uh, the lady, the, the branch manager, calls me, and she says to me, Ben, 
I'm very sorry to tell you, but the lending manager is sick. I'm like, oh, that's such a shame. Yeah, sure. So anyway, he's sick and he can't meet with you tomorrow. But she said, I will take that meeting and I will meet with you instead of him. Does that sound good to you? I said, that sounds great to me. So I said, I hung up the phone and I said to Sarah, I said, this is Providence. He was going to say no, but she's about to say yes. And I called it early because I wanted all the points for faith. So... So we're on the way and, I, and, and, and like, I am really like, mark my words, Sarah, this is it, you know. So, so, so we get in there and I'm confident, right? And we get before it and we explain how we want to do it. You know what she says? You can have the loan. So we bought the house. Praise the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing. Did God just look at all of that and say, I reckon I can work around all those circumstances but if he was working around everybody's choices, he couldn't guarantee us an outcome. How did he do it? Did he make the person sick, the, 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 you know, the lending manager? Did he make him sick? Theological sidebar, God will not make you sick to please me. And he will not make anybody sick to punish them. If you're sick, I'm saying that God would much rather you be healed. And that's another thing altogether. But he didn't make this guy sick, right? It worked out exactly as God had planned and all the events begun to unfold. Now, here is the sticking point for you today. If you keep making bad decisions or if you made any bad decisions, how could God be in those? Because this is the practical outworking of really what the Scriptures are saying. I think this is very important. I want you to listen to this carefully. God can work through you and in spite of you, but He would rather work with you. Did you get that? This is very important to understand. God can work through you and in spite of you, but He would much rather work with you. See, this is what you need to know. God can still make your bad choices work. And it'll work out just as He plans. He can still make your bad choices work. Bad choices will work out for God, but they don't always work out for you. So you want to pay attention to the kind of boundaries that you have in your life and how you make decisions. Because even though God will make it work, it may not necessarily work out for you. And I read this story about this guy named Samson. And Samson is by all means uh, an impressive human being and clearly anointed by God. When anyone is anointed by God, it means they have divine favor in their life to enable them to do something that would ordinarily be impossible. He had the anointing of God on him. And it shares this great story that we can see Samson's anointing. Let, let, let me read it to you. It says, you won't have it on screen, but this is what it says. It says that as he came near to the vineyards of Timnah, behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears apart a young goat. I feel like that illustration would be lost on some of you today. I think maybe, maybe at the time that this was written, they were like, oh, young goat. Yes, we know how to rip one of those apart. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm just guessing that, that you haven't ripped apart a young goat. And if you have, please also come forward at the end of the service because we will pray for you too, right? But, but he says, I, I, I would say this, right? I think they must be making the point that tearing apart a young goat is apparently very easy. And he says, Samson tore apart a lion as it was a young goat. Now, I've been to the zoo. And I've seen lions and they are big 
and they are scary. And Samson sees this thing and he just takes it apart and he rips it apart. There is no doubt about it that the anointing of God would have had to have been upon him because he did it with his bare hands. And here's what's interesting about that. The young lion came out when he was going towards the vineyards at Timnah. Timnah was the boundary where he was not supposed to go near. He wasn't supposed to be crossing the line. He was hanging around over the edge in territory he wasn't supposed to be in. And yet the anointing of God still worked in that place. And my point to you is simply this. You could be crossing the line, but find that the favour and anointing of God is still functioning in your life. And if the anointing is on you when you begin to cross the line, don't take that as a sign of God's approval, just believing that because the anointing is there, that you can comfortably cross lines that you know you're not supposed to cross. God is not giving approval. It's because the gifts and call of God are without repentance, which means they'll still function when you begin to make mistakes. Don't think for a second that that's necessarily where God wants you to be. And so we see this and we see that Samson, I reckon he started to develop self-confidence in his own ability. He must have thought that he was pretty good because he knew in his heart, he was raised all his life to know what God wanted. And he knew in his heart that he was crossing lines that he wasn't supposed to cross. And yet he did it with such comfort and such ease. Maybe he took God for granted. Maybe, maybe he thought that the power was his, but by, by all means, to look at Samson, he is having a mountaintop experience. He, he is a hero that looks like he is the complete package. Part of the Nazarite vow was that you weren't allowed to cut your hair. So there he is, muscular, long flowing locks of hair, just looks the package. Think of Thor, you know, just impressive, you know. And, 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 and he's there and people, they must have looked at him and go, oh, there he goes. Look at him. Impressive specimen of a human being. Muscles and long hair. Look at him. He's got it all. And then he gets the girl. You know that? His, his mom and his dad are like, fine, we'll, we'll get her. So he gets the girl too. Here he is, the hero of the story. Everything going well for him. Prophecy, destiny, amazing strength long flowing locks of hair and he's got the girl and all the while in his heart, he's moving further from God. See, people can look like they're the package. They can look like they've got it all together. And maybe at a distance we say, wow, look, they've got it all. But incrementally, they're moving away from God. I think that Samson, he fits the class of a Hollywood hero Hollywood would write stories about guys like this, you know, and Samson, he's so impressive, but I don't think that any of that stuff was impressive to God. When God looks for heroes, you know what He wants? Consistency of character. Consistency of character. He wants to see that you're the same person when you're in the spotlight that you are when you step off that platform, whatever that is in your life. Are you the same person? Do you really love God all the way through? Do you allow the boundaries that God puts in His Word to be in your life? 
when people are looking at you and even when they're not looking at you, you've got to be so careful. Because Samson's chasing down this vision for his life. Maybe this was his idea of success. Look, I've got it all. But you've got to be careful what to sacrifice on the altar of success. Let me just read this last scripture to you. It comes out of 14 verses 7 to 9. It says this, Then Samson went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. This is the one that he killed. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. Now, he wasn't supposed to do that because the Nazarite vow would have forbidden him from doing that. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate, but he did not tell them where he had scraped the honey from, from the carcass of the lion. Samson, in this pursuit of this life that he wanted, sacrificed a number of things. Let me give you three. Number one, he he married a Philistine woman and that was forbidden by God. And he's the Savior, the guy that's meant to change everything. And he he married the Philistine woman. He had contact with something that was unclean, something that was dead. And then he took that honey and he gave it to his parents. And he concealed the truth about where he got it from. Do you know what we call that? We just call that lying. When you conceal the truth intentionally so that people don't know what you're doing, he's marrying the Philistine woman, having broken the vow that he made as a Nazarite, lying to his parents about it, And on the surface, he still looks impressive, but something is changing on the inside. Let me me finish by saying this. Don't cross boundaries that have the power to crush your life. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.